You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. And welcome to this week's edition as we move to week number nine. And for those of you who haven't listened before, I'm Mike Keynes, uh, and as uh, we say in the opening, Pastor Drew, Pastor Darren, hey guys. from Forefront Church at Harvey Park, join us every single week. And just to let people know, if you're, if you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, we have two great pastors at Forefront Church, and uh, I'm, I just belong, I belong to the church, show up, and, and I have some questions that I think most people <laughs> who are sitting in the pews might have. That's, that's what we're trying to do on this podcast, as well as... Uh, fill in some things, uh, and also learn uh, each week. And boy, I have to say, this week, and I had told you earlier that when I, this is the one topic that I have the most sort of almost doubt about, because you look at other religions, and they have stories to try to fill in why certain things happen in life. And I can buy... Uh, Adam and Eve. I can buy Noah's Ark, but for some reason, this is the explanation to why we have so many languages, the Tower <laughs> of Babel. So did, did either of you, even before you went to seminary, did you guys have any struggles I do with this story of the Tower of Babel? I, I don't know if I had struggles, mm-hmm. but I, I did have like... I. To me, it's just there. there's a whole lot of mystery and a whole lot of information that I don't know yet. And so I'm excited to learn about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, w- what, what I tend to do is, is I trust God about some things I don't know. And it's not a blind faith. I just don't have enough information to know about this part of the Bible yet or know about that part of the Bible yet. I know the person of Jesus. I know the person of God as he walks with me and we have a relationship every day. Um, and and I, I trust him that his word makes sense. And so that's kind of my paradigm of the world. I think for me, this story itself takes a 10,000 foot view, look at something we want to know so much more about. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much mystery here and so many questions left unanswered. It is easy to take this as a kid's bedtime story. (laughs) Well, there's this, this huge (laughs) question we need to answer, but we're going to just give you this little, where do all these languages come from? And why do people look so different? Like even just skin color and just even facial features and things like that. Because it's a really important question that every kid asks their mom and dad. Why does little Johnny look differently than me? You know, why can't I speak the same language as Susie's grandparents? And and if you actually look back, there are other cultures, you see so many s- similar stories. So the Babylonians have a similar story. You have, you have other, um, other ancient cultures in the ancient Near East have a similar story, just like they do have a flood account story as well. Which makes me leads me to believe that this happened actually that this happened and so now as people start having grandkids and grandkids they keep telling these stories and then the story changes we know how the telephone game works stories change over time and so the Babylonians have their version of the story and you know the Incans have their version of the story um, and you know the, but God comes and gives us the Bible to say okay this is actually how it happened unfortunately we don't have the detail we want with this idea like how did we go from one language to seven thousand. 
Why, you know, how, how did people really scatter? And so a lot of people end up saying, well, it's just a fairy tale to try to fill in this question. This isn't really how it happened. But I think, again, we have to try to read the Bible for all it's worth and mind what God wants to tell us. And so there's a big picture here he's trying to communicate. But then there's also a lot of questions that we have left over. All right, what we try to do each week is uh, follow uh, either Pastor Darren, Pastor uh, Drew sermon and, and follow up on that. And th- this past Sunday, uh, this sermon was about uh, Genesis chapter 11. And it kind of jumped over a little bit on chapter 10 to a degree because I, I don't know about you guys, uh, you're, you're obviously much more well-read. I start seeing those genealogies and my eyes start glazing. You know, I'm moving on to the next chapter. But, but to, Darren, to this, refresh your coffee. <laughs> but Darren, could you take us through chapter 10 and just sort of how it sets up what we're mm-hmm. going to learn about in chapter 11? Yeah, so you might have a, a title in your Bible that says the Table of Nations. And that's because these descendants from Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they have their sons. Uh, of course, they have daughters too. We don't have that record though, because uh, the, the names of the sons is what spreads out across the region. And the names of these people is, is who the Israelites later come into contact with and who they, they later have wars against. And, and the thing is like everyone, everyone here is a brother. Everyone's related. Mm-hmm. But as time progresses, you, you, you lose those relationships and conflict happens. And so we, we get the record of, of Japhethites first. The Japhethites moved uh, up into the north. Um, so if, if you think about where Noah's Ark uh, theoretically landed, the Bible says it was in the mountains of Ararat, which is modern-day Turkey. So th- that means the Japhethites went to, went to the north and, and sa- uh, settled that region. The Hamites uh, then went went south. You see some, co- some sons of Ham that are Cush and Egypt, Put and Canaan. Well, we, you know Egypt and Canaan, those are familiar names mm-hmm. if you know the Bible. So you know that they went then to the south and to the west into northern Africa. And then uh, later on, we get uh, the Semites, or the, the Shemites, from which we get the Semitic languages. Shem, Semitic, uh, that's that, that word there. And Hebrew is a Semitic language. Aramaic is a Semitic language. Came from the line of, of Shem. And these people then went to the east, um, into modern-day Iraq, um, and, and where ultimately Babel was. But the, the cool thing for me is that uh, in verse 8, we read that Cush was the father of Nimrod. Now, Cush well, was a northern African tribe, but, but he had a, a guy named Nimrod. Now, what does the, the word Nimrod mean to you guys? It's, it's, it's <laughs> dummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's really derogatory if you yeah, call someone is. a Nimrod. Yeah. So, right. Come on. So th- this is something that, that Tim Mackey, founder of the Bible Project, said, and this, this blew my mind. Yeah. So Nimrod didn't used to mean that until... Uh, Bugs Bunny called Elmer Fudd Nimrod. And, and it was a derogatory term for him. But here's the thing. Nimrod biblically means mighty hunter. Right. Well, that's what Elmer Fudd aspired to be. That is... A yeah, mighty absolutely. hunter. And so, but, but then in, in our pop culture, since I grew up on Bugs Bunny, and you guys probably are familiar with it too, of course. Also, Nimrod became a derogatory term for some yeah. kind of silly person. But no, he was a mighty hunter. So yeah, Nimrod... Bugs Bunny was a cultural icon. Oh, yeah. Of course he was. So, <laughs> so Nimrod is actually the one in verse 10 of chapter 10... It says the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. So when we come to the Tower of Babel story, Nimrod has associations with that because uh, the Tower of Babel was built in Shinar. And then uh, verse 11 says from that land, he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and Babylon and Assyria were those two nations that the nation of Israel came into conflict with and ultimately destroyed 
the, the capital of, of northern kingdom of Israel and Samaria and also Jerusalem. So Nimrod was a bad dude. He, he was like the Lamech back in chapter five, like the ultimate warrior, um, the ultimate guy who, who just founded all these evil kingdoms. He was that, like the ancient Near East with. Um, Napoleon, right? Just go conquer, <laughs> create culture. Right. Or Alexander yeah. the Great. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So are we looking at, because when chapter 11 begins, it says all mankind spoke a single language. Is this something that happened then? Or what's the explanation for everybody already moving into different areas and perhaps speaking different languages? Why is that chapter before the Tower of Babel, chapter 11. You know, as Westerners, we love to read things chronological. And so we want to pick up a book, and we want you to tell me from day one how things progress to the end of the story. And I don't think that's what God does here. We see this explanation in chapter 10 about how these nations came and how they moved and where they settled. We have coastlands. We have the plains of Shinar. And then we have this 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 verse at the end of each section, right in verse 5, it talks about um, the, the sons of Japheth, like they spread around the coastlands and they each had their own language and their clans and their nation. And then you get verse 13 talking about going to, to Egypt and, and, you know, the sons of Ham and how they spread around. And, and then you get to verse 20, right? These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands and nations. And the same in verse 31. But then you get to verse chapter 11 and now you have the Tower of Babel and it says there's one language and, and one words and the people settled in the land of Shinar. So I don't, and what some opponents of the Bible will say is, well, now you have a contradiction. See, the Bible is contradicting itself already in the book of Genesis, but I don't think so. I don't think it's meant to give us a chronology of how it, it happened in order. I think what God does is he says in, in chapter nine, he says, Noah, go have babies, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And let me tell you, and he remember, he's talking to a group of people who just came out of Egypt. Now they're getting ready to go into promised land and they're coming into contact with all of these different nations. Like Darren just said, he says, okay, now let me tell you who, how, how it spread from Noah. And now you have all these nations. And then you get to 11 and, and we see the color commentary of what happened. Because there's this interesting break between 10 and 11. You see that you have the descendants of Noah, right? Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Then you get the Tower of Babel. Then after Tower of Babel, you see Shem's descendants to Abraham. So God is purposely going to take us to, to Abraham because he's the father of what became the nation of Israel. This is God's guy that he calls. And so I think there's a purposeful break. You know, God could have just went genealogy all the way into Abraham, but he breaks to give us the Tower of Babel story. So I think God is, is it's not chronological, so there's not a contradiction. God is just going to tell us, okay, now let me tell you how all these people spread and how their languages ultimately came together and changed. All right, now let me go back to me sitting in the pew. I'm listening to the sermon, and my thoughts are, how long did it take them to get to the point where they had the ability to build this and what are they what are they why are they building this really because um, I think all three of us as we were growing up heard the stories about they were trying to reach heaven but it's hard to at least find that in the verses that's what they're doing more of they're trying to build something to show how great they are so let's get to the nitty-gritty guys how do they build this first of all and then I want to talk about why God comes down and, and, and changes languages. So tell me, tell me about the actual uh, building of this uh, You get this neat glimpse 
there's this this little verse in here about bricks mm-hmm. and what you're seeing is technology like a statement on technology mm-hmm. like they have created technology now that makes bricks now we we don't know before flood if they had this technology maybe right but we we, we've joked about that in the past. Like, what, what, what did the world look like before the flood? But we see now that since the flood, now things have progressed to the point where they have this new technology. They're going to make bricks. It's not, just, it's not just stone like they had before. They're going to make these bricks. They're going to build cities. They're going to build this really cool tower. So mankind has progressed to the point they have this, you know, this really cool new technology they're going to build bricks on. Uh, but when you start thinking about this power that they have, that they have come together, they all speak the same language, and now they have this power. And we're going to build this tower into the heavens. There is some good questions about, well, what is this tower going to look like? And, and Darren, I think, can shed a little more light on what the Hebrew actually says about the tower. Yeah, so most of the time I, I come and I make fun of what we learned as kids, uh, like I did with, with the Noah's Ark thing. Uh, but this one, I, I, what we learned as kids, I think is accurate. The Hebrew behind uh, the tower that reaches the heavens, um, the, the ESV says with its head in the heavens, I think. And the Hebrew actually reflects that. There's a word in Hebrew um, pronounced rosh, and it means the head, the top. Um, and so with its top in the heavens it is the literal Hebrew behind that. So what, a tower that has its top in the heavens, well, God resides in the heavens. The gods are in the heavens. And so they're trying to ascend uh, and, and be where, where gods are. And then the ironic thing that Drew talked about in his sermon is that the Lord came down. Mm-hmm. So the people are trying to get right. up to God when God just comes down. Uh, and it's not like we have to... You know, isn't, shouldn't we say, Darren, though, isn't it the verse 7 is saying, let us go down. So it's not just God coming sure, down, that's, right? Is it, that, am I accurate on, yeah, on it's, that? Yeah, it's the same thing that we talked about way back when, when God said, let us make mankind. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what us is that? Is that an implication of the Trinity? Well, maybe looking back, but in the moment for the ancient Israelites, that's not what it meant. Uh, I, I like the, the, the royal, either the royal we, like, let's do it, or potentially like some kind of heavenly court. I think, was that episode two or three? Whichever one, the image of God. Really early on. Go listen to that one for more of that. Um, but yeah, that's that's okay. kind of what that is. So yeah, we don't have to build anything up to have access to God. Like God will come down like wherever we worship him. Right. Yeah, I think it's one of the beautiful truths you see that you can easily miss over. Is, is, yeah, you don't have to work your way to God. God came down the mountain. You don't have to climb up the mountain. And whether the intent of the tower was to build it to God in the heavens or it was just to build it into the clouds so that you had this massive structure, you do see at the heart of why they wanted to do it was their own greatness. You know, it says here that they want to build this tower so we'll be great, so we'll be seen. And there's that interesting verse that they say, let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So they knew God wanted them to have babies and scatter and, and populate the earth, but they didn't want to. They wanted to build one big, huge, great city to show how, how awesome they were and make a name for themselves, almost as an attempt to show God, hey, we're, we're so great, don't scatter us, and, and we're so great, don't send another flood. And so it just, I think what we talked about on Sunday is evident in here that there was this pride drove them to try to show God and other people how great they were. And we see anytime you go against what God wants, God's going <laughs> to, he's going to move and, and change and make what he wants a reality. It is kind of a follow-up to a question I had asked uh, regarding Adam and Eve. We learned that Adam was told to name all the animals. And I asked you, well, where did he get this vocabulary? How was he able to know words? And here, this is, this is the part I think that makes you, 
feel like, is this believable? How does God take people, send them on different ways, and how does he put into their brains, now they all speak different languages? That That's the one that you go, huh, how does that? I mean, God can do anything, but well, boy, that one seems like hard to grasp, doesn't it? You do see, we talked about the study of modern linguistics a little bit on Sunday. You do see all these consistent patterns. And mm-hmm. what was one, there was really interesting. There was one study that was done that talked about how across different languages, you have these standard patterns, right? You have these commonalities of languages. Um, so there's a guy by the name of Joseph Greenberg, and he based the study on 30 different languages and used 45 different, there's, there's four, within these 30 different languages, there was 45 linguistic universals, which led them to believe that there was a hardwiring in the brain. And so what they did was they would make up words and they would ask these same words across these 30 different languages. And so they would ask words like baluma, right? It's a word. It's not a real word. They made this word baluma up and, um, almost every language gave the same answer. They said that it was a round object. And so there is a central (laughs) perspective that spanned across 30 different languages that even you can make up words and it draws you back to the same mental picture. And so that's why we see synonyms and antonyms and we see metaphor and simile, which leads you to believe that when God did confuse their language, they all had a foundational language that you see in verse 11 or chapter 11, verse one. They had, they were a highly articulate people. They had a fully developed complex language system. God confused it. And we don't know how that looked, mm-hmm. right? How did Mandarin and, and Spanish spin from what was Edenic, as a lot of scholars will call the initial language, right? That God gave in the Garden of Eden, Edenic. So how did those come? Well, there were some consistent universals, as modern linguists say, um, that, that will reflect that language, what... It, Language didn't develop because of a series of grunts and those kind of things. And language developed, which would make sense. It came spinning off of one common language. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Hebrew 4 right now. And why I'm taking four semesters of Hebrew, I'm not sure. But, uh, Glutton for punishment. I know. And I'm taking Greek at the same time. That's just what I have to do. That's going to um, be word. Pray anyway. for Darren, please. <laughs> no, please. I have my midterms this Thursday. Anyway, uh, uh, well, I'm studying the same kind of thing with modern linguistics that that every every language has a a, a common or origination. Like we all have verbs uh, and we all have nouns. Like just basic building blocks of language are, are very similar. One thing that I I love to talk about from the Tower of Babel, um, and I'm going to skip way ahead, like a year in our sermon series potentially. So hopefully we'll all forget it by the time we get there. <laughs> um, in Acts two, we see that the Holy Spirit comes back on the day of Pentecost. And what happens is all of a sudden, all these different people from the same region in Galilee, all of a sudden speak multiple languages again. So uh, if, we, if we believe the day of Pentecost can happen and where the gifting of tongues happens, we can believe that the same thing happened here. But the point of, of the Tower of Babel as compared to the day of Pentecost is that there's a reunification of those languages because people from all of these nations, in chapter two, it lists a ton of different regions uh, of people who were there at in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came, gifted the disciples with the gift of tongues, and all of a sudden started speaking in all of their native tongues. And so it's like this reunification of what happens in the in, in the, the Tower of Babel story, where their their nations are scattered, and then Acts two, the nations come back together. And not only that, but literally speaking, right after this story, where the nations are scattered, we get Abram, who's going to be a blessing to the nations. 
So God's goal was always to reverse this scattering with languages at the Tower of Babel. He wanted a united humanity. He wanted people of every tribe, nation, and tongue to come worship him. That's always been God's goal. So right after this, he begins to act in that vein with that goal in mind. There's a really cool verse in Zephaniah, which I know, Mike's your favorite book of the Bible. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Zephaniah. I've got a bumper sticker. I know you do. So Zephaniah 3, there's this really cool verse in the prophecy of of Jesus and and what God's going to do one day. Mm And he says this, he says, for then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him and in one, uh, with one accord. Um, and then, and then at, in verse 11, 10, 11, it says, in that day, you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgressed against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. So God is saying there is one day I'm going to bring everything together as one. And I think you in see heaven that. though, right? Not, well, not think, here on the earth. Well, he's talking about how when, when Jesus is going to come, he's going to right. come. He's going to, that's going to be the reuniter that brings mm-hmm. us back together. And I think that's a perfect picture of how that happened in Pentecost. If all these different languages in Jerusalem now, after um, Jesus has been crucified and, and now Peter stands up and starts speaking. And then all of a sudden the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit moves and people are hearing these disciples speaking in their language. And so, Darren, I think it's a great point. God separated their languages, scattered them, but his plan was to bring us back together as one, and he does that through Jesus. So, and are you saying that ultimately in heaven there will be just one language? Yeah, I mean, maybe, I doubt we'll be speaking English. You know, we'll probably get back to Edenic or whatever, yeah. but yeah. even if we are speaking different languages, I think we'll be able to understand each other. Interesting. And well, I always make the joke of I, I speak two languages, uh, English and profanity. And leads me to my from the pew question uh, is, is profanity a sin as a Christian? Are you allowed to say a, a bad word if you hit your thumb with a hammer, but you can't, but you can't call somebody a bad name? What, as Christians, what, where do you stand as a forefront church? Of, where do you stand on profanity? <laughs> Drew, Drew's pointing at me. You take Drew it. got the point from Drew. You take this. You go first. Okay. Um, so this has been an interesting thought for me because what defines a, a curse word? A bad word? It's culture, right? right? So mm-hmm. if you're in a place that uses a certain word, uh, it, it, you might not view it as profanity, and yet you still kind of know because of the culture you live in. Mm-hmm. So I, I think... In general, our language, as God says, our language should always build each other up. It should never tear down. Right. Um, so I, I, I do my best not to use uh, words that our language views as inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I come across someone who's offended by those words, I don't want to disrespect them right. or, or, or cause them offense at all. So just try to keep my mouth tongue. And uh, taking the Lord's name in vain actually isn't cursing like using God's name, that's misrepresenting God to the people around you, which could be using bad language, but it also could be sinning and doing a bad thing by representing. It's funny. If you listen to the list of cuss words, the worst of them, not all of them, but a lot of the worst of them have the name of God in there. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Jesus Christ, God, you know, or holy cow, you know, I just right. think about where, where that came from. <laughs> Look at the progression of holy cow. And, um, and so it is interesting, yeah, that while those are cuss words, that's not necessarily what God's talking about in taking his name in vain. Mm-hmm. You do see in Scripture, like Ephesians 4, where Paul says, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Or in 1 Peter 3.10, that said, if you love life and want to see good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil yeah. and having deceitful speech. 
so I think it comes down to the heart, right? And so if if the reason you're using profanity, the heart behind it is to say something derogatory so people laugh, or it's to demean somebody, it's a sin. If you get somebody rum, runs into the back of your car in traffic <laughs> and you say a cuss word, that's between you and God. I, I, I don't know. I can't answer that, to be honest. Curse, curse words are some of the most uh, varied functional words in the English language. Like it can be a noun, it can be a yeah. verb, it can oh, be yeah. an adverb. And ad- <laughs> oh, it I, I, I listen to some people's conversations that I'm not participating in. I'm like, wow, you have such a wide vocabulary. <laughs> well, and as Christians, how many times have we substituted another word? Oh, so stinking right, right. or, or flipping or right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, right. if the heart behind it is the same thing, God darn it. that sounds, right. I'm pretty sure God's going to look at that the same way you would have said right. the real word. What's in your heart. Yeah, it's right. all about the heart attitude. Isn't that interesting? It's a okay. good question. <laughs> All right, we're running out of time. Just want to preview next week what's coming. Where where are we going, uh, sermon wise, next Sunday? Yeah, so we're getting it to Genesis twelve, mm-hmm. and so Genesis eleven, Tower of Babel. Then we see Shem's descendants that take us down to Abram, right? And Abram is the man that God's going to call he and his family to be the the start of how God's going to create one nation again. How mm-hmm. God's going to now bring people back together through the promise of Abraham. And we're going to see what's interesting is we saw 11 chapters that takes us from creation to scattering of mankind. And then we're going to see Abram. And now things shift. Chapter 12 to the end of Genesis. Now you have the story of this family. You're going to get 14 chapters with Abram. And Abram means father. And then he God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And so we see God give this promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. That God is going to... Is going to bless the world. And so he chooses Abram, Abraham to then bring the line that ultimately leads it leads us to Jesus. Right. So it's the start of how God chooses and calls a people. And it's going to be really fun. All right. We're looking forward to that. So today we learned it's not a fable. God actually created these different languages, put them in people's brains, spread people out. And that actually happened. And Pastor Drew says it's okay to swear if you get rear-ended. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> well, don't take my word for that. <laughs> so, he said and, it's between you and God. <laughs> between you and the Lord, yeah. That's right. All right. Well, again, if we, we urge you, if you uh, want to watch the sermons, that you can do that, ForefrontChurch.tv. Uh, Certainly love to see you at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, and please come and, and attend. The weather's going to get better. <laughs> can start showing to. up in church. Absolutely. So it's been a wonderful uh, time today on this podcast. Look forward to it next week. Uh, please uh, tell people about our uh, More to the Story podcast. Spread the word and subscribe and like us online. For Pastor Drew and Pastor uh, Darren, I'm Mike Keynes. Thanks for listening to this week's edition. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story podcast will follow the forefront church sunday sermon as pastor drew and pastor darren guide you through the bible from genesis through revelation every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the bible thank you for listening we'll be back next week with another edition of more to the story